shapes, I believe. It's not so much a V shape recovery. A V is merely just a rather rude gesture. If we have to have a letter of the alphabet, it's probably a sort of W shape. It's going to be going up and down. Yeah, we're like wobbling. Did you jump or were you pushed? And he said, he sat there for a minute. Let me ask this in in, on, in honest terms. I was jumping, then some buster pushed me. <laughs> and it was a great. <laughs> there's no thing. reason why it has to be a depression at all. <laughs> it could be made one, but there's no reason. Hello and welcome to Real Talk with Terry and the team, our new podcast series brought to you by Terry Bell, chairman of debt strategist firm Bell & Company and foreign property debt specialist EU Property Solutions. Terry is known for his straight-talking and no-nonsense approach, so if you want real and current business talk, you've come to the right place. Hello and welcome to Real Talk. This is a podcast that uh, myself, Terry Bell, produces for and on behalf of Bell & Company. Today, we're talking to what we'd like to uh, politely refer to as a, a commentator, but also a doer. Uh, so it, this, this gentleman's been out there and achieved things and done things. He's not, uh, he, he's learned but he's not by any sense uh, an academic in the uh, bland way. Um, Wikipedia very excitingly refers to this gentleman as an investment manager and business commentator, and that's the height of it. So, welcome, Justin Urquhart Stewart. How do you do, sir? Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank very you for good. asking. Me. A couple of other things that we, we, we've we scanned around in this that you created Seven Investment Management with six other people, thus the seven, I believe, back in yep. 2001. Uh, I know you as an entertaining commentator. I wake up at silly o'clock as well, so I see you reviewing papers at five in the morning alike. And I know now you've got other interests in your business called Regionally, which we'll come on to. But just one thing before we get going, Justin. Part of our research showed that you were due to retire in April 2020, obviously on the cusp or just into lockdown. How is that? Have you left? Are you still there? Have you had your leaving party? Will I still get an invite? No, well, yes, the leaving party of this year would have been, of course, really rather dull. So I had to have a leaving party virtually on my own. No, Tom, Tom and myself, my business partner, when we set up seven, actually put in the clause that actually uh, we should retire when we were 65. So you get the old farts out the way. But I was then suddenly 65. Um, right. So um, I found myself having to leave, and, but uh, it was great because the next generation can take it on. I found the right people to actually handle it with the right ethic and style to it and allows me to get on with the things I want to do, which is basically I do economic archaeology because my wife kept on kicking me out to go and find a relic before I became one, but I think it's probably too late now. <laughs> so with uh, Seven Investment Management there, I think that some of the stats we got there, there's about 15 billion under management. Yep. And th- yep. 300 plus staff. Yep, and, yeah, and growing. Um, it's got a, a new shareholder now, I'm former Caledonian, which is a long-term investor. Fantastic. When in this world of private equity, actually having a firm that has an average investment period of 11 to 15 years. Really? And um, that's what I like to have, because if you're investing people's money long-term, well, frankly, I want an investor who's going to be thinking the same Absolutely. way as well. So. No short-termism there. No, no, up and down, catch the market. And then just for, for uh, the likes of me, Justin, excuse my ignorance, it's 15 billion under management. What does that really mean? What is, what is it in terms of a, a layman like me? What does that entail? And what are you trying to achieve there? Well, the idea very quickly with that, you get the economies of scale. Because one of the problems I've always had with the investment world, apart from the fact it has a nasty habit of, as a technical term, uh, lying. Um, and, and because we don't teach people finance, yes. what you need to be able to do is to be able to make create something which is interesting, dare I say, probably entertaining, it's pushing it a bit far, but you need to get scale to get the, the economies of scale to get the cost down. 
Um, uh, in the investment world, an awful lot of silly gits in red braces and stockbrokers love having extra charges in town, maybe commissions, nominee charges, ISA charges, pension charges. And one of the reasons I had to leave um, a business that I'd helped set up before, which was uh, became part of Barclays, became Barclays Stockbrokers, in fact, the firm that was running it, um, or the senior people that were running it, managed to introduce an inactivity fee. Right. So you get charged for doing something, then you get charged for doing nothing. Nothing. Very good. Brilliant. Um, Absolutely. You know, trying to tell that that was probably the wrong thing to go about. To go about. Yeah, really, we had a slight disagreement. So um. I thought, time to go. So really, why do you want 15 billion? The answer is you get that economy of scale, you can reduce the costs right down and provide people with far better value. Now, when interest rates were reasonable levels of 5%, yes. 6%, then that's okay. Now that interest rates are effectively negative in real terms, yes. no, actually all costs stick up like rocks through water. So we've got to provide something which is really, really good value for people at a time when actually finding that value is really rather difficult indeed. That's why you needed that, that number. That sort, of, that sort of amount round you, gives you, yeah. gives you the, almost like that power in the in the right way to to, anyway, to, exactly. to, to to create the returns. So you you retired there. You you failed the old fart test, and they moved you on. So regionally, what does that entail? That, I think it's a new business. Morris, a new business. You're you're just becoming involved it in. A, it's a new business, but based on an old business. I right. remember the days back in in Ulster. Ulster actually had three stock exchanges, um, right. and if you actually go back and look in 1945, throughout the whole of the United Kingdom and all that, there were 45 stock exchanges. Now right. most of them were absolutely useless, mm -hmm. uh, run by silly gets and red braces. Most of whom were quite keen on trading commissions and things. But the primary purpose purpose of a stock exchange is to raise capital for business. That's mm -hmm. it. Trading is secondary. So on that basis, I would argue, actually, we don't have a stock exchange in this country at all, because the London Stock Exchange focuses much more on looking after Aramco and things like that. Yes. And AIM, which was actually started by six of us in Glasgow, it wasn't called AIM in those days, uh, about 30, 35 years ago. It was uh -huh. simple, low cost, yeah. um, um, and the idea is to try and actually really get local businesses financed. Now, the London Stock Exchange took it over. It's now expensive, based in London. It's not very efficient, uh -huh. and I don't really like the way it's run. So I want to go back and do another stock exchange, but use the technology to allow the ability to be able to, in the regions of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, to raise money for local businesses. Not as a charity, but local businesses need uh, more capital. They're not going to go to the stock exchange. Yeah. Um, private equity is too, probably too, you know, is too expensive and often too short, average three years, unless they cock it up, which I guess it's five years. Angels, well, they're good for startups, but you need something for growth business. Mm. So between half a million and, say, seven to ten million, there's a big gap there. Massive. So where's the money? There's no shortage of money. A lot of people, we've got money, but there is no mechanism for you and I to sit there and say, I want to go and invest in that company over there. Mm -hmm. Well, I could do it privately and write them a check, but there isn't a system to be able to do that. So why not actually then set up regionalized, effectively, little investment hubs uh, with a platform so you can have a list of those companies there and they yes. can actually decide well, do they, well, how much money they want to raise by equity or debt, and put that together with the investors that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, something, something you often find that uh, doesn't happen is that when companies come to the market, they have the advisor said, well, look, do you want shareholders who are members of the family? 
Is it staff and management for inheritance and things like that? Are they suppliers? Are they even customers? Design them. Are they longer-term investors? Mm -hmm. So design the shareholder base that you want, which is going to add more value to your business over time. And investors which are going to be there, not for a couple of days or three, the average equity investment period, five to seven years. Uh If you you can get those investors that do want to, so it's almost almost like a matchmaking Exactly, yeah. I take it. Yeah. So yes. it is a, uh, and it, but if you can get those investors, they're the ones you want. That'll, that'll be the job. And when you say um, regionally, how, how many regions are you covering? What is it? How does it work? Well, in what we do, starting off, I actually went around just asking sort of, well, was there an interest in this? The answer was yes, huge amount of interest. So really reacted to who put their hands up first. So first of all, actually, it turned out it was the West Midlands of England and also, rather strangely, the Southwest, rather sort of quiet area. So the first trades of these will be starting in the next couple of months, raising money for that and then putting it through. So uh, money not having to go via London, just going locally into those regions, which in a way that wouldn't have happened before, but also using the local uh, professional corporate advisors, who are often the accountants with the corporate advisory side, Yes. They, often, they get frustrated because business get to do perfectly well, get to a certain size, need more financing, and it all goes to London. Yeah. And so they lose the company, they lose the relationships, and they lose the income. So why not use those local regional professionals? Absolutely. They can do the due diligence. And all I'm doing and the team is putting back the financial infrastructure, the plumbing, if you will, Very to good. enable people to invest in Know, the, the regional business, the local businesses in Dundalk or wherever it happens to be. Yeah. Um, uh, or in this case, uh, the first one's probably going to be down in Exeter. So uh, opening up new areas of capital that people can have access to, it won't apply to everybody, won't be suitable. Yeah. And we have to make sure it's got the right companies there. It's not for private investors in terms of widows and orphans. Right. It's for professional investors who understand what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but it's trying to make sure, particularly at moments like this after COVID and uh, all the issues we've had with the economy, that they've got access to capital at the right time when they need it. Absolutely. So, because there's so, there's so many layers, aren't there? But they're not efficient layers. We're, we're not great peer-to-peer at the minute. And you look at those layers, you take some, well, take something like AIM. You know, you've got to pay for the infrastructure based in London. You've actually then got uh, stockbrokers who want to get their bit. You've got market makers, um, and you've got all the support and advising. Layer upon layer upon layer. Absolutely. These are small companies, they can't do that. Back so it, wait, wait. simpler. Simplify Sorry, wait. the process. Sorry. We're, men, we're men of a certain age. Sorry, now, we, I used to. I was trained as a chartered accountant down in down in Holborn there, grazing, and, and we used to have a senior partner who used to be able to run a run a company into USM. You didn't. Yes, you had to have stockbrokers and like, but it was, it was fairly yeah. simplified. And I always remember we came up with it the other night. We were talking about Ritz Video. I don't remember the good old days of yes. Ritz Video. Yeah. So there was a they they headhunted a guy I think from B and Q. And uh, there was a bit of bit of uh, to and fro with the B and Q, and the chairman was asked. And he only came. To, it's completely different to what you're talking about there, but it's just a, such a funny line. And the guys, so the, you get the fancy stockbrokers, uh, idiots in red braces, etc. And they were saying um, there's, a, there's a bit of a grey area about you and B and Q. Did you jump or were you pushed? And he said, and he sat there for a minute. Let me ask this in in on in honest terms. I was jumping, then some buster pushed me. <laughs> and it was a great thing you used to be able to get away with, eh, Jim? They weren't, they weren't overly uh, dying. 
the other one was a construction company that said uh, they're in a they're in a bad way. It was that sort of peak and trough, catching the recession wrong. And uh, one the one year the chap got up, everything was prepped. Our, our senior partner prepped everything for him, really to say. But he went a bit off piece. He said last year we were on the edge of a precipice, and this year we took a step forward. In <laughs> 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 today's world, in the, the microanalysis would have got it there. So that's what you're up to. So you keep yourself busy. Yeah, that and I do um, uh, economic archaeology, which is basically the the, eco the economy of the Roman Empire, and right. comparing it with today. So you yeah. have an Iron Age economy, and amazing things you come across. The mass production of, of the uh, Roman mosaics, the insurance structures, how the banking system... They didn't have a banking crisis. Why? Because it's very simple. If anybody in charge of any of the financial arrangements was ending up to, nasty, up to anything uh, inefficient or nasty or doing something bad people's money, they got killed. <laughs> that was very straightforward. Folks so to mind. We could have resolved some of the issues with the Royal Bank of Scotland really quite quickly had we Absolutely. adopted that. Absolutely. If, if, if nothing was a back, if nothing was put with the backdrop, so you, <laughs> we were talking there just a little bit off there. So you're you're, you're bunkering down there, and you've got your building, rebuilding your social housing project behind you there. Uh, but you, so, uh, so just just on a personal note, how, how has COVID affect you and the and, and friends and family? How have you managed to deal with it? You okay? You good form with it all? Uh, I'm pleased to say all my family is, is in in very good heart. Sadly, good. I lost one one friend, um, and uh, that was a a very painful exercise for his his wife and children because it seemed to go on for ages and ages uh, and it was in the early stages when everyone was trying to learn just how bad yeah. this was and people were saying it's a type of flu now we know of course it, it really is uh, not just a short-term issue you could see a lot no. of people including our prime minister today how much it's actually taken out of them absolutely um, so he's still not at the races is he so it's uh, it's but it seems to be affecting different people in different ways. Uh, I listen to quite a few different uh, right across the spectrum. James O'Brien was good left wing LBC commentator. Yeah. He got it, didn't even know he got it. Just lost a bit of taste. He thought it was down to his wife's cooking. She didn't. She, was, she put enough salt. That was his diagnosis. And as you say, and, and terrible news. I'm sorry to hear that about your friend and how mm. how it is hitting there. And it's the it's that sort of uh, and it's it, it's it's where it's going to go from here because it's that backdrop. And then you get uh, 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 and he called himself Dave, David Buick called himself an old bugger. He says, "Well, I know that." So he said, "We've got to be careful here. What is actually going on? It's the stats. It's the misinformation. It's the mainstream. It's a it's a horrible sort of hybrid that we've got as a." sort of background that we're all trying to work to here it's really and, and of course the one thing it really affects is the one word that drives any economy and that is confidence absolutely because if people don't have confidence because they're feeling yeah. a bit unwell and they've got a temperature and they say oh heavens have i got covid um or are they not going to meet people businesses stuttering people yeah. are spending so much um so this is not just you know uh, an issue about it's a horrible disease which is it's affecting not just our economy but our way of life and Hugely. of course it's not just us it's global Absolutely. now try and work out what happens next and it's yeah. going to be very difficult now yes. above all is a time when professional responsible advisors, financial managers and advisors should be stepping forward with you know, the right answers to people, uh, you know, making sure they'll do the one thing you have to do when you learn about investment management, which is don't lose the sodding stuff. You, know, <laughs> you can make it over time, yeah. but you're not here in a betting game. That's why we have yeah. horse racing. Um, and we don't want to repeat some of the issues we saw with some of the fund abuse um, yeah. over the past few years, all of which was done in the open. 
all of which people knew about. Yes. But would anyone actually have the courage to stand up and say, that's wrong? Yeah. Um, and the answer is when you do, you get covered in uh, legal letters, I know to my cost. But there is a right way to behave, and our industry especially should actually be understanding it's a privilege to look after people's money, not a right. Mm -hmm. We're going to come to a section that we call it Mystic Mag. If you have younger people here, go and Google it and find out what Mystic Mag is. But it's just just a little bit of... We'll come to that in a minute. That's more on an economic thing. I'm quite cynical on that. I just think, strangely enough, I think it may come to just before the end of the first you know, five-year term that Boris will be seeing. I think things might get better. But with that, Justin, and you'll have far greater input here or knowledge, the markets, from the, again, a relatively lay person looking, they look fairly crazy at the minute in terms of where they are on and what could be happening with the economy. Mr. Haldane talking about his V-shaped, I think he's claiming now that we're in 11.5% of where we were and all this sort of carry -over. And then I was reading at the weekend, and if you, if you could give us a little bit of a backdrop, SoftBank and whatever they're up to in terms of their bets. Yeah. I'll call them bets, back to your horse racing analogy there. Um, why, why is the market so high at the minute relative to what we think the economic backdrop is? Isn't it wonderfully perverse, isn't it? We've got a global yes. pandemic, uh, global recession to a great extent, uh, and a level of fear uh, and concern, and the stock markets are roaring away. Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. Well, first of all, you have to separate out that economies and stock markets do not run at the same time. They may have things yeah. in common, but they're different beasts. Stock markets are also supposed to try and look forward 18 months and discount what's, what's coming ahead. At the moment, they can't work out what's happening next month. Yes. So what you're seeing is, first of all, the stock market, speaking in America, only reacting on a very, very small range of stocks, or just those few number of tech stocks, which have roared away mm -hmm. and have dragged others with it. So if you bought the indices, you'd be fine. If you've been sticking around buying some rather boring value stocks in America, you'd be not in a good shape at all. So it's a bit of a trick of the eye, this one. A Trump lied, right. and actually, it's all doing fine. Uh, what investors have to try and do is if you believe that the global economy isn't about to fall apart, um, but it's going to go through a difficult and dangerous time, that they stay invested. Because remember, the primary driver mm -hmm. of your investment over time is the compounding of those very boring Absolutely. dividends. Okay, dividends are under pressure, but they're still there. Yes. Um, so have that. And the other thing to remember is the global economy isn't going to stop. And no. leave aside America and Europe and the others, actually the developing nations, which where a lot of my family actually come from, particularly in Southeast Asia, um, they're still going to be growing and they're not going to be stopping. And the rise of the Oriental middle class, and you can see it mm -hmm. in Africa as well, these people will be buying more, spending more, investing more, and that is not going to be stopping. So yes, we're going to go through a really very unpleasant uh, few years, I believe. It's not so much a V-shaped recovery. A V is merely just a rather rude gesture. If we have to have a letter of the alphabet, it's probably a sort of W shape. It's going to be going up and down yeah, like that for a while. But the yeah. market's reacting at the moment to, oh, there's a chance of a vaccine. Yes, oh, there's more government support. Perversely, good news in the economy often puts the market down. Why? Because it means less government uh, drug money coming in. Yeah. If actually, if there's actually weaker economic news, actually the markets tend to buoy themselves up because it means more government free money is coming in. So it's a perverse world and trying to actually explain this properly to people without sounding like a complete idiot is actually quite difficult. So try and tell them that actually they must financially plan over a longer term albeit with lower returns, um, mm. is something we've got to give people and educate people about finance far more. And not just us as individuals. Uh, I find this when we're dealing with companies in the regions, 
educating people who run businesses as well. They're very good at running their business. Yes. They're rubbish at their finances. Yes. Because, you no, know, as you've seen with some of the, the high-tech businesses, lovely high-tech geeks, but not very good at running their businesses. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now we're entering another phase. You mentioned about SoftBank. You're entering another phase where we're going to see a lot more of larger corporations, some of the bear moths being broken up or selling off assets, and that could provide a good opportunity for buying up assets quite cheaply. Um, but you're going to be seeing a lot more of this sort of takeover issue carrying on and take companies like BT, classic example, where a large mm-hmm. bear moth with lots of bits of BT, relatively inefficient, companies like that. And there's no shortage of money for this. The no. private equity teams are there, they've got the cash, and they'll be using it. So it's going to be interesting times. Now, the encouraging bit I find, though, in Britain, uh, despite all the bad news we have and despite the fact we still have not sorted out about Brexit and all that, which is very important, but compare our economy with that of Germany. Germany knows a great manufacturing uh, economy, mm-hmm. and we're never going to be like that. What we are good at is actually our technology side. And our technology has been very successful. You mentioned SoftBank and uh, ARM. ARM Holdings being sold by SoftBank to the Americans. Now, sadly, despite what the Americans will say, the IP, the decisions about it and its future investment may well just go to the States. Do you Mm -hmm. trust the American investors and uh, houses to do that? The answer, I wouldn't trust them as far as I can throw them. You have to look at what happened with Cadbury's and Kraft. Yes. Uh, What I do want to see, though, is greater focus on what we're good at. And that means not just pouring money into it. What it actually means is uh, internet investment in terms of making sure our economy is structured possibly, not with a wretched train that goes to Manchester 20 minutes faster, but actually (laughs) proper high-speed internet. And it makes a tangible difference. In Cornwall, Had uh, the EU paid for ultra-high speed in Cornwall, and you could see the impact on business parks. That's why they voted to leave. God knows why. But anyway, the the point is, we then need to provide more capital mechanisms, go back to the infrastructure again, back to the regional thing again, to actually provide those funds going into those areas uh, to be able to help with that development. Do we have in our political system the ability, I uh, might be able to question this, for, for people to think like this, though? I think, uh, to, uh, that's what I think, because there's this great line from Billy Connolly, the very fact you want to be a politician should preclude you from being one. It's, it's that sort of, you know, <laughs> but that, that, that's an interesting point you were saying about the markets, because, again, if you've got that, uh, that, that ability in normal times when we're up and down in recession, recession sorry, and you're looking 18 months ago, COVID doesn't give you 18 days, let alone 18 months, does it? No, so suddenly no. everyone's sort of thinking on their feet, aren't they? And you start again, the soft bank's having a bit of a punt here and a bit of a punt there. And suddenly you get that, yeah. And you say the tech, but I mean, I think uh, Apple's doubled, isn't it? In, in during the, yeah, I think we're on a couple of trillion now. And it's, it's and it is astonishing when, when you look at actually how this has changed. And of course, now then the future is going to be different because how a company is going to react they're going to be more defensive. So what are they going to do? They're going to shorten mm. their supply lines. That doesn't mean that uh, you know, iPhones are going to be made in Isleworth anytime soon and not China. What it does yeah. mean, though, is companies will start de-risking, say, actually, I'll try and source products locally, if I possibly can, and shorten that. That provides another opportunity for businesses to be able to see, right, what can we try and do on a local basis? Because it's not so much COVID itself, what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you're going to see more localization. 
the change in terms of the cities themselves, in terms of the office space. A classic example, you go to Canary Wharf there, there's not many people working there. Go underneath Canary Wharf and look at the shopping centre. That is as dead as an odo. So fundamental changes there. And then to our own high streets and how they're changing and how we're going about our shopping. And again, that's not going to go back to the way it was either. So I'm trying to work out what the next stage is going to be. It's not all negative. But it's change. And yes. we're not always very good at change. I have to say in financial services, we're particularly bad at change. The mm. city loves looking at sepia photographs of itself for 30 years ago and saying, weren't we great? Actually, we weren't. Um, what they've got to be doing is saying, right, what do we have to do next? What's the next stage to actually try and help build the economy? Because financial services, whether you like it or not, and whether you like silly gits and red braces or not, is fundamental to the development and recovery in the economy. Absolutely. On that, I was in London two weeks ago with a colleague of mine. We were there for a couple of days, meeting some guys. And we, uh, A, went to uh, a restaurant in Poultry, which would have taken three months to get in, but took three minutes. And yeah. then we, we stayed just off Fleet Street, and it was quieter than a Sunday. We were meeting a couple of barristers there in the in the chambers, and it's uh, it's, it's it was beyond dear. It was a, it was always sort of one of those post-apocalyptic sort of uh, scenes where you know just needed rolling thunder and things like that. It was I don't never seen anything like it. Even on a Sunday, you you'll have been in the city on a Sunday. I have, and it was it was it was brutal. I mean, I, they ain't they ain't coming back. Not, not anyway back to where and yeah. when you've got brilliant businesses, whatever you think of the brilliant business model like Pret a Manger, you know. Bang. They've gone. gone. Uh, and, it's, you know, and therefore, it's not just that business, but everything, it's the supply chain that goes that business, the people working there. Um, yeah. And so, you know, how do you adjust all of that? So the bad news, I'm afraid we are going to have bad news later this year. As furlough runs out, it may be yes. extended a bit, might be nuanced to particular sectors, but the unemployment level is going to go up very dramatically indeed. Uh-huh. And it's not a matter of just saying, can the government provide support? Well, it can do, because we're quantitative easing, it can print money. Um, It's a bit of a trick of confidence, or is it a confidence trick? Can't work out. But (laughs) quantitative easing does allow... The cups on the table. Yeah. And you see what the Japanese government have done. There's no Japanese bond market anymore, effectively. The Japanese government owns it all. They're buying... Uh, and the Japanese government buying equities as well. So, you know, it's a different style of capitalism we're actually going to be seeing here. Um, And it's going to be very difficult to actually get people to work around it. The problem is our politicians aren't, as you were just implying earlier, not very good at business, otherwise they wouldn't be there. Um, And also they don't have much in the way of that experience, be it life experience, or even just the idea of sitting there some free thinking as to what happens next. Now, Maybe they've got so, good advisors, possibly some who have short eyesight and have to go to Barnard, uh, Barnard Castle every so often to check, see if they can absolutely. still see things. Um, but you know, uh, we need uh, here better guidance and leadership to say, not so much I can see the future, but actually here are the things we can do. These are the things we can affect. And our neighbours, because we have to do this with everybody else, with Europe, no, with America and uh, elsewhere around, and China, despite what Mr. Trump wants to do, in order to actually see this pick up properly. So a global trade war, or at least an American, a Sino-American trade war, is not helpful. No. And anyone who understands their economics in America will know full well it's going to be causing more damage to America than Absolutely. necessary to China.
back to our political friends, I didn't imply anything, Justin, I was saying they're not fit for business, but hey, that's different, <laughs> it's a different, different agenda. In, in terms of that, they, 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 I think there's a, a lack of appreciation, you tell me if you disagree here, in terms of the SME sector of the market. I know you're, you're quite rightly up in the, in the financial echelons, as it were, but the SME is absolutely the, the, the hub of any recovery here. We don't see anything coming in there yet at the minute. It's, you know, we're playing with a couple of bits of shall we issue, that issue statutory demands. We do a bit here, do a bit there. And it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, we've, fortunately, we've been had the ability, as you said, to print money. But, it, and it, I'll just be interested, because again, your regionally side of things would suggest you're looking at the SME oh. uh, side of things as well there. Well, I heartily agree with what you say about the SMEs, because remember, who's the largest employer in this country? The answer mm -hmm. is the SMEs. Yeah. Um, something has changed over the past 50 years. When I was growing up and uh, uh, um, my mother asked me, what do you want to go and do in her rather pompous way with your life? Well, I don't know, but I want to have my own business. Oh, God, you want to go into trade? Um, yes. Now, we didn't set up businesses in the way we do now. Now, you worked for the government or the services, or you were a professional, doctor, lawyer, whatever, um, or you worked for a large corporation. But very rarely did you have someone who say, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. now, since then, I don't know if we've all been addicted to Dragon's Den or something, but the world has changed rapidly, mm -hmm. and particularly in Britain, for the good. Because what it has meant, sometimes because people were laid off, so they had to, or people actually had the bravery to say, I'm going to try this myself. Um, we set up more businesses in Britain than France and Germany put together. Now, mm -hmm. there's a lot of failure, right? Of course there is. Now, some of them, of course, are consultancies, which is a euphemism for an unemployed banker. So leave those on one side. Actually, what you've got is a lot of dynamic businesses growing. And I have to say, forgive me, talking my own book with Regionally again, they're the ones that need the capital. Yeah, They're the ones absolutely. who need to go back to that one word of confidence again to help them to try and grow. What can the government do? Well, get out of the way. It's helpful. They can make sure they've got the right tax breaks there, particularly for investment, encouraging more investment coming through, set off capital expenditure, all those elements. Um, yes. And that's what you can try and do with that. Help it in terms of making sure more money is being directed into this sector. Absolutely. And yes, there are going to be losses for it. Now, the, there are some very good incentives there already. EIS, SEIS, all those things. Yeah. But we need to nuance that as well into those areas we're particularly good at. Yeah. Universities are spinning out more businesses than before. But mm -hmm. universities are rubbish at actually setting up businesses. We need, again, to nuance that to make sure yeah. that's better. And that brings this, uh, this technology to life. And I come back to the point and providing them with the capital. And yeah. that's not from the AIM market, that's maybe from private equity, but it's certainly not from the current stock exchange. So we again need to use our imagination of finding other Massively. ways of doing this. Massively. And, and the support network that goes with it. We were talking earlier about local professionals. There's nothing worse. We've come across it a few times where you try and engage with local government initiatives support-wise. And it's a, it's been called what it is, it's a quango. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's, it's, it's almost, uh, you'd never say, I tell you what, stick it, I don't want your money. <laughs> it's that hard work. You, yeah. you, you need to get this layer out. If, you, if you're going to get proper professionals, you're going to get proper accountants, this, understand your accounts. It gives you the chance. So you, you're trying to release these, these men and women, and there are brilliant ones out there, who can go on, have half a dozen employees, and hopefully take that to 
double that or 20 or so. And that's where the boost in the economy is going to come from. The, the, the finance is there, but the support is massive. I'm just going to take you on something else that you wrote on LinkedIn last week, Justin. You, you mentioned your very good friend, Donald Trump. I know you're, you're on, you're on uh, first name terms, you, you, you and D. Uh, and then gold, because you're, you're not, you're not, not uh, I don't know whether I read it right, but gold isn't too exciting for you. I think you called it linear or one-dimensional. One we were talking to David Tate, who's the CEO of the Gold Council, and he was giving us the full pitch on gold as the best thing since sliced bread, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as a barometer. Uh, Donald Trump, okay, uh, not a political statement. Out, I think in America it's going to be absolutely horrific come November. I think it's the 5th is the, is the election day, uh, the, uh, results date. And you, could you give us a little bit more on what you're saying there in terms of the US election and or gold, what, you, what your perception well, is there? I swear, let's start, start with gold. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with gold, but it doesn't do anything. As you said, linear, it goes up or down. That's it. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about the, this long-term value of compounding, uh, of those yes. little dividends. You don't get any compounding out of gold. What can you do? You can stroke it, lick it put a little pillow next to you and sort of feel comforted by it. Um, and so gold is any good, uh, and it's where you have to be careful of the gold bugs, because you get people who come out, and that's all, their entire world is gold. Oh, sorry. It's held its value since the days of Cleopatra. Well, I wasn't around then, and she didn't end up very well. Um, so it's, it's almost when everything else, and you saw this earlier this year when I was tempted to invest in gold, when you actually look at the bond market was terrible, they gone negative, the equity market was frightening, even though we've seen it rise at that particular moment, it had just fallen off a cliff. What were you going to choose? Commodities, they had all disappeared. The other ones, oil was uh, almost gone negative for a while. Not actually, but it looked like it on paper. Um, and so therefore, that was when gold was a benefit. So in my view, you're never going to be able to retire on gold. You're not going to be able to live off it. Um, it doesn't give you anything else. So it's there for emergencies, and it looks pretty, but that's about it. A bit of an insurance policy. To, when, yes, but when it comes to the election, um, I'm you know, trying to forecast elections. You know, who would have thought Trump would have got elected last time? Well, I didn't uh, think so, whereupon he did. So, uh, whereas those brighter than I had identified, not so much it was Trump, but I should have been listening to my American business partner who had identified it. He said, it's not so much that everyone loves Trump, because they don't, but they really couldn't stand Hillary Clinton. Um, and so it wasn't so much that he won, that she lost. Now, Actually, you're dealing with someone who is, you know, uh, 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 unreliable, to put it politely, uh, not wildly bright, I'm afraid, not a very successful businessman, um, no. and an incredible narcissist. Um, and, you know, someone who will do just about anything, I suspect, to try and cling on to power. Um, so one would like... And on, to and on, the, and on the downside? <laughs> surely, surely there isn't. But, so uh, if Biden does get in, and it is rather worrying because he does he hardly seems the most dynamic individual trump's term of him as sleepy joe you have to sit there and say well it certainly seems like it is biden going to be a great success and the answer is no not necessarily but he's going to be less dangerous than trump is yes. and that's my fear yeah. the russians have probably got something on him um, the uh, fight with China is childish and stupid. Um, and yes. so we need a, 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 some common sense here, even though it may not be wildly exciting common sense. And it may not necessarily do the stock markets a, wild, a, a load of good in terms of shooting up. In my view, the stock markets or the economy started doing well after the banking crisis. The Obama regime you know, took it going through. When Trump came in and said, I'm going to make this really grow faster, that was a warning sign to me. Mm -hmm. If you're growing too fast, okay, the markets have risen on the back of it. 
the markets may well find themselves falling back. Um, but you know, it is a, I'd rather have you know, a weaker market, but a more secure global political situation and the economic situation, which is dull. I don't mind dull. Dull's quite no, good. No, no. So we, we just need a backdrop to work to. We don't need them to be, to be you know, uh, sort of running the show, do we? Just just create, if you can, as close as whatever normal is. I didn't show you earlier. This is this is a great book here, PJ O'Rourke. Ah, yeah. yeah. How, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> PJ, PJ O'Rourke's a, a Republican, and yes, you'll know Justin, but he had to vote for Hillary, so I just couldn't, you can't, you can't vote for Trump, you cannot do it, so it's just amazing. And the, the other great uh, thing, is he's got some, some great books out, PJ, a brilliant commentary, I lucky enough to see him in London there, as part of one of the spectator debates. Oh, yes. Very, very good with Fraser Nelson, very good, sharp, one of the sharpest minds you'll hear. Right, so now uh, we're going on to Miss Dick Meg, and I've said this before, Justin, this is a gentleman of a certain age, remember the lot during Mystic Meg. This week's winner will have brown eyes and eight children and that sort of carry on. <laughs> so this is, this is for, this is for our, our market, if you like. This is our, our SME guys trying to work out what's going forward. So we've got good, good women and men working out there. Uh, you referred earlier to the W recovery. We, 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 we uh, took a view and it, we've gone for the Nike swoosh. Yep. So it's a down, yep. down, so steadily, steadily back. So how, how it, it's very hard to know because you've got COVID's going to go, whatever, whatever else is going to go on here. But in, t- in terms of your overall perspective, how do you see this recession? I think it's only going to be a recession, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a depression. How do you see it panning here? I, I, there is no reason why it has to be a depression at all. It could be made one, but there's no reason. The reason I really would think it's not is China's not going to be stopping anytime soon. And those other areas of the world I mentioned, Southeast Asia and those areas, will still be growing. That's not going to stop. So mm-hmm. what you're going to be seeing, though, are some pay, painful recessions in Europe and America, as not just because the economy changes. Remember, before COVID, we were heading for a significant slowdown stroke recession anyway. Yes. So we were only getting yes. what was probably our due. But the problem we've now got is not just, just recovering from the recession, but the restructuring that's going on. And yeah. so the restructuring of the city centres, the shopping centres, um, how we deliver uh, uh, goods, the demand for those goods, the technology, and don't forget the environmental issues. Um, and amazing how that's changed in two or three years. Two or three years ago, it, people were having their investments and, oh, I must have something green in there as well, mustn't I? That's gone. Yes, now yeah. it's centre stage. Uh-huh. I want something which is environmentally responsible. I want something which is actually going to actively help. And with parts of the world literally burning, um, it really does now come to the fore. So I'm fascinated then to see then how this, how we manage our way through it. Now I believe we can manage our way through it. We, there is the, the private capital to do so. There will be the demand for goods. It's just that we're going to have to make sure we understand what those goods are going to be uh, in terms of uh, how we operate that with the technology. So we have the opportunity. We've got the money. We've got the technological developments. um, And what we've got to do now is create the demand by way of confidence. How do you create confidence? And the answer is by, you know, uh, it's not an illusion, but leadership of steady growth. As a good example of this, and that, of course, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt coming out with the New Deal. Now, the New Deal, actually, when you look at the direct effect of it, you get Hoover dams and things like that, was actually, the effect wasn't actually that large because other things occurred, like a war. But what it did do is it actually had a knock-on effect to all those other businesses which said, 
Well, if they're putting that money, I can do so too. I can actually join in with that. And so that's, I think, is the thing. So you need strong leadership showing a credible way forward to which private money can then go in afterwards. The government can aid not by way of grants, but by tax incentives to assist that. um, And that will start giving us confidence. And that's the bit that I think will actually then allow us uh, Mm -hmm. to actually come out of it. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be painful. We're going to see some hideous job losses. um, But we need crying out for credible leadership. Absolutely. And I still can't see any. No, on that, um, I was reading about BP this morning and oh. their, their, their aspiration, their goal to be carbon neutral by 2050, which is, which is going some from where they were. Until oh. I, everything, everything was going well until I read the, the name of the new chief executive, Mr. Looney. <laughs> <laughs> But it was interesting with BP, only well, five years ago, they came oh, yeah. out with a huge statement, they were going to change their name to Beyond Petroleum, and everyone laughed absolutely. at them. Yeah, and of absolutely. course, actually, that's exactly what they are doing. Yeah. Every oil company now has to be able to sit there and say, we're going to be you know, carbon neutral by whatever date it is, and they're yeah. going to have to have a credible... Uh, environmental alternative in order to actually attract investment now and the sensible ones will be doing that uh, the Russian yeah. ones won't um, but you know and I find that fascinating the change in uh, attitude of corporates as to how they're going to have to address this and um, change really quite rapidly yeah. from, say three or four years ago where it was still seen just something over absolutely Going back to your ethos, it can't be lip service anymore, can it? It can't yeah. be, I need, I need 10% in green just to appease a couple of, couple yeah. of left-wing shareholders or whatever you might have. There's a, there's a great, if I may comment you, I don't know if you've come across a man, uh, a brew dog, a brewery, a man called James Watts, oh, yes. who runs it. Huh. Yeah. In Aberdeen. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do some great stuff. And they, they're doing it. They've gone carbon neutral already. But just, but it's a part of the business. It's, it's part, going back to your thing about ethos, we're, we're very strong in the ethos in terms of what we do. If you've got your ethos, it carries you through whatever you're doing. You've yeah. got the financial management like right okay james right uh, sorry justin we're gonna have a quick fire around here right okay. it's called i'm not a robot okay nothing too untoward here uh, important questions first in terms of wine red or white uh rosé rosé <laughs> provence <laughs> provence, provence rosé yes, very good it gets delivered on a regular basis and consumed at even greater speed is it very good straight into the drip straight into the bottle above here very good <laughs> the best advice you ever received Oh, uh, best advice was actually on a Southampton building site where I was uh, for several months. Uh, I ended up being elected shop steward for UCAT, the Union of Construction and Allied Technical Trades. I think I'm the only shop steward in the stock exchange. Um, right. And funny enough, you're not called Justin uh, when you're doing that, you're called John. <laughs> <laughs> and nor you called Eric Stewart either. Uh, you know, no, no. John, John Stewart. And uh, this was uh, uh, a lovely chap there uh, who I worked with, and he said, work bloody hard and you can deserve your drink in the evening. Absolutely. And it, Very it good. was this idea of, look, this is bloody awful work, it's bloody, you know, but we're going to work hard at this and we're going to really appreciate by that by the Absolutely. time we deal with it at the end of it. Absolutely. Very much so. Very, very, part, very much part of our ethos. <laughs> what time do you usually get up, Justin? Well, it's interesting how it's sort of changed now with the joys of sort of retirement. Uh, I was nearly always up at half past four. Why? Because uh, you had fascinating programs like Wake Up to Money. What poor sort wakes up to money? Um, yeah. But I don't have to do that anymore because actually they found better people at seven to do it rather than me. Um, and so actually I now still find myself actually probably getting up right about half past five, something like that. Um, because I like the dawn. 
Absolutely. And uh, whereas in the evening I find myself falling apart far too quickly, that might be the rosé. Back to the rosé. There's a bit of a theme here, but we may pick that up. It's a bit like a record playing back, which everything will be rosé, rosé, rosé. Oh, very good. What would be your favourite sport, Justin? Uh, it's, it's actually rugger. Always has good. been. I was a very bad... Back in the days when rugger players were human beings, as opposed yes. to these huge monsters. I used to play for London Scottish. Um, very good. And London Scottish, I wouldn't even qualify as a, as a corner flag now. No, um, no. These people are much huge. Absolutely. But no, a, a good game of rugger, but I fear for it now because the damage that we're seeing being done to these super athletes, um, both of their joints, their muscles, their, their yeah. brains, it's gone beyond that sort of level now. And um, so I enjoy that. It's, got, it's gone slightly behind rugby league. I'm a rugby man as well. So rugby league went from com, com, contact, sorry, to impact. And it's yes. an impact sport now. It's how far you can blast somebody back or how far you can blast them back. It's gone. Sort of the, uh, but uh, no, it's still, still, still a great, great sport I think, yeah. with you on that one. Um, so dinner, you have a dinner party. You've been, oh. you're, you've, you're sort of at a dinner party and your fairy godmother decided <laughs> you can invite two entertaining people along. And they can take whatever form, be it academic entertainment, uh, comedy. My two would be PJ O'Rourke and Billy Conley. Right. So that gives you the context of oh, the low level I come from. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one person I would invite, because he would be controversial, funny, and he would bring much better wine than I've ever got, and that's Andrew Neil. Yes. Um, very, always controversial, fantastic interviewer. Um, oh. you know, be eased out of the BBC, but you know, he'll be back in one form yes, or another. Absolutely. Apart from a dodgy picture of him wearing a string vest in the 1970s uh, at the Sunday Times, we'll forget that. Um, yeah. I find him a fascinating individual to talk absolutely. to, to debate with. And the, his, not just attention to detail, the ability to actually pull back detail mm. uh, from uh, somewhere in his brain, I find quite astonishing. <laughs> the other person is uh, possibly someone we don't get to see very often, but it's nice having it there, assuming we can get the guards past him, would be President Xi of China. Because I yes. really want to hear, are you a, a dictator? Uh, are you actually the head of the Communist Party and managing this party on a broad scale? How are you going to develop that economy? And you've got a country which currently has over 17 border disputes around its borders. Okay, it's got a big border. You've got the potential for a war with Japan in the East China Sea. The South China Sea upsets five different countries all at once. You've got guns and stones being thrown in the, in the northeast of India, mm -hmm. in the Himalayas. And you've got Kashmir, which isn't just an Indian part. Pakistan problem, no. it's an Indian Chinese problem because they managed to nick, sorry, borrow 20% of it. So I'd love to know economically how it's going to develop, politically how it's going to develop. There will be one slight drawback. I neither speak nor understand Chinese. But apart uh, from that, it would be great. I don't think you'd get a lot from his face, would you? It'd be, it'd be, a, fair, it'd be a fair poker player, I'd suggest. Just on the big series. He would be very good at that. Uh, uh, right, I'm going to finish with one more question, if I may. What drives you now, Justin? A man of your tender years and your bloody red braces you've got on about, what drives <laughs> you still to do what you do? Get, get out of bed at the delayed hour now at 7 o'clock every morning. What's driving Mr. O'Connor uh, Stewart? There's still a common theme. There is a common theme, and it's something I always try and bore my daughter stupid with doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And whether doing the right thing, whether it's in terms of making sure this house is going to be here for another 200 years, it was built in 1588, um, doing the right thing in terms of what could you do to help society, that sounds awfully bland, but there are little things you can try and do. Mm -hmm. But also try and make sure that in terms of, I haven't let go of financial services yet, you know, try and make sure there's some infrastructure left behind, won't have my name on it, no one will ever know at all, 
I've hopefully done something to improve yeah. it from there to there. Yeah. One other thing gets me up in the morning, and that is my trowel, my archaeological trowel, to be able right. to go out and go back on my digs again, to go actually go and sit in a filthy trench back in Jordan, where I was Petra last year, and uh, digging with some fantastic uh, individuals there, Brilliant. and uh, really understanding how these old economies work, and appreciating actually how developed they were, mm. and how ignorant sometimes we are. Absolutely. And how we should actually address and look after ourselves. Yeah, nearly their simpler model works so much better, didn't it? Not simple in the simplest form, but simplest, simpler. Yeah. I need to ask you one favour. Can you name anybody that we should interview on this? So we call this real talk. We're trying to get across, as you, as you brilliantly, succinctly put quite a few of your points over. Okay, we're just trying to say, we could try to cut through the ball and the 23 charts that Boris and his two minions <laughs> trot out every night. What, what, well, what, who, I, who, who should we talk actually, to? It's nice and straight talking in this. I would, I would actually go and approach Andrew Neil, see if we could actually get Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Um, and have a go. The other person is uh, James Forsyth, the editor of The Spectator. I have yes. no connection with this or any particular bias. I'm going to mention um, you, Justin and, said. I'm just writing it I, down here. <laughs> and I think he's, um, no, he's yeah. he, he, again, without any political bias, he yeah. explains things really very well indeed. And a classic example has been this fiasco of, uh, excuse me, where did we put the Irish border? Um, Absolutely. And uh, so, and be able, anyone who can explain that in two or three sentences in the way that I can understand it, I'm very impressed by. Whereas Absolutely. I listen to the politicians, and all I do is I just end up getting very, very confused, very Absolutely. saddened about the fact that they are leaders and angry that we're not actually making progress in the way we should. Yeah. Just so you know, in Northern Ireland, we don't really give a monkeys. <laughs> you should do it. It's out of it. it doesn't seem to be top of the list. There. You've no. been listening to Real Talk with Terry and the team. Is, if you'd like to hear really, more, don't forget Justin, to hit that subscribe much. button and stay episode. updated with our latest episodes. Keep going on all fronts and uh, catch you soon. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. It's a great pleasure. Cheers, Justin. Bye-bye. Great stuff. Bye now. Bye. Thank you.